0: Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. We come to you as Father because of the work of your Son, in whom we are justified freely, and in whom we are adopted as your children. And as your adopted children, we have the privilege to approach you as Father, by the Spirit to cry out, Abba, Father. And as a father, we know that You take pity on Your children, and so we pray that You would take pity on those who grieve. Who grieve the loss of Janice Smith. Who grieve the loss of Nicole Harms. We pray for their families. That You would be a God of all comfort to them and that You would sustain them by Your grace. We pray that Nicole's service this coming Friday would bear witness to Your Son and that Your name yet again would be hallowed in life and in death. It is our desire for Your name to be hallowed in the life and the death of all of the saints at First Free for Your work of salvation and Your work of sanctification to redound to Your praise and glory. And so we ask, Father in heaven, that Your kingdom would come and Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We want our lives here on this earth to be in line with Your heavenly priorities, with Your will so I pray for us as a church as we study the topic of church membership over the next few weeks. I pray that you would be glorified in the church that we would be blessed. That we would be a church who reflect here on earth your kingdom in heaven. Help us to bear with one another in love to build one another up in love, and to be faithful to take the gospel that we have received to the nations, that You would save and sanctify all whom You have set apart for salvation, to the praise of Your glorious grace. Father, we ask that You would also give us this day our daily bread, You have been so faithful to provide for us as a church in 2022. We pray You would continue to provide for our needs going forward. We pray for those in this church who are struggling financially, that You would provide for their needs according to Your abundant kindness. For those who are doing well financially, that they would steward the resources You have given them to the praise of Your glory. Father, we finally pray that you would forgive us our trespasses even as we forgive those who trespass against us. and as we come into your word and walk into this week, that you would lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Well, it's a joy to be back in this pulpit this Sunday. I don't know if you noticed, but I have been gone the last three Sundays. Wasn't it great to have Kurt Romig back here last Sunday? So much in that sermon that I have continued to meditate on this week and to refer to. But there was one thing that he said that was very timely. He said, that the church is the closest thing to heaven we get on this side of earth as we live our lives on this earth as aliens and strangers the church is a little slice of heaven i couldn't agree with that statement anymore in fact i hope to demonstrate today from the gospel of matthew that that is what the scriptures teach that the local church is meant To make known on earth what is true in heaven. Over the next five weeks, we will then show various ways that that takes place. How God's glory, His heavenly glory, is seen on earth in the church. This will be a series on local church membership. And I have a couple of goals for this series. The ultimate goal... I hope we get part of the way there today, is for you to come to see that membership matters. That's the ultimate goal. But a practical goal is for you to know how to engage as a member in this church. And to that end, we will look at some various aspects of our membership covenant over the next few weeks. All of it, we believe, as we say in our ministry map, about membership is for God's glory and the good of God's people. And we want to show that. But I'm aware, as I lay out the goals of this series right here at the beginning, that there are a number of you here this morning who are not yet members of the church. Others of you maybe question whether or not membership matters very much. And so I'd like to address some of those questions and situations right out of the gate this morning. I know that there are a number of reasons why some may not yet be members in the church. Some of you, you're brand new to the church. Um, Others of you, you've been here a while, but you just simply have not gotten around to joining the church. I hope that this series will motivate you to consider joining. Some of you are not members because you're not yet Christians. And membership in the local church is for those who believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. So membership is not the next step for you. The next step for you is to place your trust in Christ. And I've been praying that those of you who are in that category, that the Lord would convince you of your need for Jesus and that you would embrace Him in the weeks ahead. Others of you, maybe do not agree with our statement of faith, and I get that as well. And so you can't, in good faith, join the church. But I know that there are a number who have not taken the step of membership because they've had a bad experience at a previous church, and so they're a little gun-shy walking in to a process like that. And if that is you, I would encourage you to talk with us so that we can process that experience with you and help you determine what the next steps are. Those are some reasons. I'm not going to address in detail any of those today. The reasons I'm going to address today fall into a little bit of a different category. There are some who are not members here this morning who object to membership. Or maybe to put it more lightly, you're just not sure that membership in a local church is biblical. You're thinking, I am a member of the church, the universal church. But there's nothing in the scriptures that calls me to join a local church. Others may think that membership really doesn't matter very much. And you're frankly wondering just putting words to what some of your thoughts may be, why does this pastor and this church make so much of membership? One of the reasons I came to this church in the first place is because it's a church that majors on the majors and minors on the minors. And membership certainly falls into the category of being a minor. Why make so much of membership? It's not an essential to the faith. Is there even anywhere in the Bible that commands me to be a member of a local church? And I want to say to those concerns that I agree that there is not, let me just get it out of the way, a chapter and a verse that I can point you to that says join a local church. But I think you would agree with me That not everything that Bible-believing Christians believe can be found in a particular chapter and verse of the Bible. Even some of the most important things that we believe. I would go so far as to say the very most important thing that we believe. The doctrine of the Trinity. Show me chapter and verse. You will not find it. Sometimes we have to synthesize Biblical data from multiple portions of scripture and notice patterns that we see within scripture to come to our most important theological conclusions. And speaking of importance, I would agree that local church membership is not the most important doctrine in the Bible, especially if we're in the category of talking about the doctrine of salvation. You do not need to be a member of the local church to be justified. You do not need to be a member of the local church to be born again. But if we are going to talk about the doctrine of the church, which is a legitimate course of study, not the doctrine of salvation, but the doctrine of the church, then I would say membership matters, and it matters quite a lot. Here is my argument this morning. You can discern it from the title of the series and the title of my sermon. Membership is mission critical. Membership is mission critical. When we think about the church and the mission of the church, membership matters. It is mission critical. Or to put it a little bit more fully, membership in the local church is critical to the mission of Church. To make this argument, I want to begin by looking at the mission that Christ gave in Matthew 28. That's the first part, looking at the mission. Second, I want to consider two passages from Matthew 16 and Matthew 18. And as we look at these chapters, these chapters where Matthew mentions the church, they're the only two passages in the gospel that mention the church. I hope you will come to see that there is a connection between the mission that Christ gave the church and membership in the local church. And it's that connection that I see in the Gospel of Matthew that leads me to say membership is mission critical. It may not be an essential for salvation, but it is mission critical. So let's begin with the Great Commission in Matthew 28. And if you were able, would you please stand for the reading of God's Word. Beginning in verse 18 through verse 20. And Jesus came and said to them, speaking of His eleven disciples, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the Word of the Lord. You may be seated. One of the most well-known Passages in the Scripture, the Great Commission. But if we're going to understand it and how it fits within the rest of Matthew, then we need to begin with verse 18. So many people begin with verse 19 when they come to the Great Commission. We must begin with verse 18 where Jesus says to His disciples, all authority, every word here matters, all authority in heaven and on earth have been given to Me. That is the basis on which He then gives the Great Commission. This verse, if you'll recall from our lengthy study of Matthew, is the culmination of a massive theme within Matthew's Gospel. The theme of the Kingdom of Heaven. Jesus, the King... We know he's the king from the very first verse of Matthew's gospel. He's the son of David. Jesus, the king, is the king from heaven. And he comes on a mission. What is his mission? His mission was to come from heaven to bring the things on earth in alignment with his heavenly kingdom. Let me say that again because it's critical to what I'm trying to say this morning. Jesus comes, His mission involves in part bringing that which is on earth back into line with God's will, God's heavenly kingdom. To bring all things into submission to His kingly authority. The things on the earth in Matthew represent all that is opposed to the kingdom of heaven and the goal is to bring the things on earth into alignment with the things of heaven in line with his will that's why you have one of the first the first petition within the lord's prayer after the request that god's name would be hallowed that god would be glorified what's the very next thing may your kingdom come may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven God's name is hallowed in part when that which is out of whack on earth comes into line with God's will in heaven what's the most obvious thing that needs to be put back into alignment with God's will in the heavenly kingdom it's us people like you and me sinners Who in our sin are separated from the Father in heaven? How does Jesus accomplish bringing heaven? I mean, bringing earth into alignment with heaven? First of all, He comes from heaven to dwell among us as Emmanuel, God with us, in order to save His people from their sins. He dies on the cross. He pours out His blood for the forgiveness of our sins, so that we might become reconciled with God. But Jesus' goal in coming to earth from heaven does not stop at accomplishing forgiveness of sins for His people. It's foundational, it's most important, but it is not the only thing. He also calls those who believe the gospel of the kingdom to submit to Him as King. He calls His disciples to embody the values of the kingdom, the ethics of the kingdom, the priorities of the kingdom, and to live lives that, guess what? Line up with the kingdom of heaven. That's why in Matthew, there are five major teaching blocks where He teaches His disciples what life in line with the kingdom of heaven looks like. The Sermon on the Mount is the very first of that. He begins this sermon by saying what? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The whole sermon for the next three chapters is going to be about what does it look like to live as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven here on earth? And he concludes it by saying what? that the true citizens of the kingdom of heaven are those who hear my words and do them. They've been saved by the king. Now they submit to the king. This was Jesus' mission. He came to dwell among us to save sinners, to set them apart, as citizens of the kingdom, and then to call them to submit to his kingly rule here on earth. But His mission does not stop with His incarnation, His death, His resurrection, His ascension into heaven. It continues in the ministry of His disciples that He gave in the Great Commission. Notice that He calls them to declare the gospel of the kingdom to all peoples. Beginning back in chapter 10, he commissioned them to proclaim the kingdom of heaven to the Jews. But then as his plan unfolds, it becomes clear that this message of salvation will not simply be for the Jews. Matthew twenty four fourteen, Jesus says, And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to the nations. And then the end will come. and That's why the Great Commission in verse 19 starts by saying, Go therefore, make disciples of all nations. And He promises that He will be with them all the way till the very end of the age. So He's not only with them and accomplishing, securing salvation, He is with His apostles, disciples, as they carry out the Great Commission. But the Great Commission, friends, does not stop at getting people saved. The apostles are also called to set apart those who are saved, who believe the gospel, from those who don't believe the gospel. Let me say that again. The Great Commission is not simply the announcement that Christ came to save sinners. The Great Commission also involves, in the very Great Commission itself, A call to set apart those who believe the Gospel from those who do not believe the Gospel. Where do I find that in the Great Commission? In the call to baptize. Go, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But then it goes on as well to call the church to teach believers to observe all that Jesus taught about being citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Jesus came to reconcile heaven and earth to save sinners, to set them apart and to call them to submit to him. But then he calls his disciples in the great commission to carry on that work. But he not only wants them to carry on that work, he wants his saving and sanctifying work on earth to be seen. Another critical move, in what the Gospel of Matthew is arguing, what I'm trying to argue. He wants his saving and sanctifying work to be seen. We see this in Ephesians 3.10, where Paul says it's through the church that the manifold wisdom of God is made known. God not only wants to accomplish salvation, he wants that salvation to be seen in the church. And this is where membership in the local church comes into play. So now that we've looked at the Great Commission, let's turn to Matthew 16 and then Matthew 18 to consider these two passages that reference the church. The passages on the church and the Great Commission are connected. I think you'll see this because all both of them contain a reference to authority. They contain a reference to heaven and earth. And they contain a reference to Jesus' presence. And as we look at them, we will see the connection between the mission of the church and membership in the church. Or at least, I hope so. Let's begin with Matthew 16. This passage is a high watermark in the gospel. So it's not simply another passage in the gospel of Matthew. Jesus has done so much up to this point. He has taught so much and all of his works and all of his words are meant to reveal to his disciples that he is the king from heaven. He is the Christ, the son of the living God. He's getting ready to head to Jerusalem where he will accomplish salvation for his people on the cross. But before he does, it's as if he puts a midterm exam before his disciples to see how much have you learned this far in the journey about who I am and what I came to accomplish. And so he asked them, beginning in verse 13, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. And others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. in heaven what's going on in this passage at the most basic level simon peter is simply giving a profession of faith he is confessing that he believes what jesus wants him to believe that he is the king from heaven the christ the son of the living god and jesus affirms this profession of faith blessed are you simon bar jonah you didn't get this on your own This is a gift from God. God, the Father in heaven, made known to you, Simon Peter, on earth that I am who I say that I am and what I've been trying to demonstrate. You've passed the midterm exam, Peter. Now, as you keep reading, you'll see that Peter still has a lot to learn before he comes to the finals about the critical step. Of that Savior going to the cross. But so far, so good. Peter's faith in the King from heaven comes from the Father in heaven. Faith is a gift, but that faith is then affirmed by Jesus. So faith comes from God to Peter, but then that faith is affirmed by Jesus, But then Jesus goes on to say something critical about the church and the mission of the church. He says that through Peter and the other apostles, Christ will build His church. Through them, others will come to see what Peter himself has come to see. That Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Others will come to see that Jesus is King and therefore They are called to be his disciples. Through these apostles, the church will be built. Isn't that exactly what Paul says in Ephesians 2.20? On the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, the church is built. Well, how will this happen? Jesus will give them, as he says here, the keys to the kingdom of heaven. What are keys? To the kingdom of heaven. They represent authority. Authority to do what? Well, what do keys do? They open doors and they close doors. So it must be some kind of authority to open the door to the kingdom of heaven, but also to close the door to the kingdom of heaven. Jesus elaborates on this metaphor with another metaphor. He says, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Or I would say, will have been bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth, loosed in heaven. This is the language of Jewish rabbis. To bind was the authority to prohibit. To loose was the authority to permit. So here is our first connection to the Great Commission. If you're lost... Let me simply show you how this works. As the gospel goes forth to the nations, people are called to respond to the gospel. They are called to repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand and to believe that Jesus is the king. And when they believe, they become citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Amen? But what does the church then do on the heels of that? when a person has been made a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, what they are to do then is to make that citizenship in heaven known on earth. And they do that through baptism and bringing people in to the visible church. And then in that context of the church, they teach them to observe all that Christ has commanded them to do. And I think, That is part of what the apostles are being authorized to do in Matthew 16. The keys to the kingdom, quite simply here, are the authority to proclaim the gospel, to call people to repent and to believe and to teach them how to live in a manner worthy of the gospel as citizens of the kingdom of heaven. But not only that, it's also the authority to affirm when a person's profession of faith in the gospel is made just like Jesus affirmed Simon Peter's profession of faith in the gospel. The authority not only to recognize a person's profession of faith, but then to bring them in to the church. That's the authority to loose, to permit. And this happens in part through baptism and church membership. The apostles also had the authority to prohibit people from coming into the church and to prohibit them from continuing in the church if their life did not line up over the course of time with their profession of faith. And this happens through church discipline, which we'll talk about in the fifth week of this series. To validate what I'm saying is not crazy and that my interpretation of this passage is reasonable. Let me simply say that the thing that I'm saying the apostles were authorized to do is the very thing that they end up doing when we turn to the book of Acts. The apostles preach the gospel. And as people believe the gospel, they baptize them and bring them in to the church. And then the members of that church devote themselves to the apostles' teaching. But then when certain people's lives do not line up with their so-called profession of faith, they put them out of the church. They're exercising the keys, binding, loosening, opening, closing, fulfilling the Great Commission, making disciples of all of the nations, making visible on earth what God has already accomplished through Christ, which is invisible in the heavens. But this authority was not only given to the apostles. When we turn to Matthew 18, we see that the local church now has that same authority. Look at Matthew 18, verses 15 to 20. In this passage, Jesus gives instructions about what to do when someone in the church sins. It tells us what to do when a person in the church refuses to repent of their sins or when they show that they no longer believe the gospel. Jesus says in verse 15, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, Take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. What's happening here? A process is being laid out for restoring someone who is sinning. And let me make it clear, the goal of this process is for the person who is sinning to repent. The goal is for them to realign their lives with the kingdom of heaven. But if that person refuses to repent when you call them to repent, and even after two or three called them to repent, then you are called to take the matter to the church. This must surely be a reference to the local church. Who else would you take it to? Take it to the universal church? There must be a thing called the local church that has some definition to it if we are going to take the matter to the church. And if they refuse to listen to the church, then they are to be as a Gentile and a tax collector. In other words, you can no longer treat them as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. That doesn't mean that you need to treat them poorly, but you can no longer treat them as though they are a believer if their life does not match their profession. Jesus goes on to refer to binding and loosing again, but now instead of saying that the apostles have the authority to bind and loose, He says the local church has this authority. It's the local church who has the authority of the keys, not just the apostles. That's why the Great Commission given to the apostles in Matthew 28 now belongs to the local church. The local church preaches the gospel, and calls people to repent and believe. And when people repent and believe, what does the church do? We do what the apostles did in the book of Acts. We baptize people and bring them into the church where they will be taught to observe all that Christ has commanded. And then that is why when a person does not continue in a life of faith and repentance, Although called to lovingly, the church has a responsibility for the glory of God and the good of the body to put those people out of the church. The local church has been given the authority to bring people in, to put people out, to prohibit, to permit, to bind, and to loose. And as they make these decisions, we are told, that Christ is present with them. That does not mean that the decisions that they make will always be right. But it means that they are authorized to do this work and Christ is present with them. Do you see the connections between the Great Commission and the church in Matthew 16 and 18? I hope that you do. But what is the point of of these connections. This is my conclusion. I am persuaded that you cannot carry out the mission that I know all of you, for the most part, agree is very important. You cannot carry out the mission without the local church. The local church is mission critical it is the local church that displays on earth the progress that the kingdom of heaven is making in the world now some of you may ask what does this have to do with local church membership i was with you pastor when you said mission and local church matter but how do you get to membership from that none of these passages called for local church membership i would agree none of them explicitly do but i would say that what we do in local church membership is the very same thing the apostles were doing in the book of acts and the very same thing that that church in matthew 18 was doing as well they are recognizing a person's profession of faith as they have been authorized to do for the glory of God and the good of God's people. Let me say something important here. All that is required, all that is required to become a citizen of the kingdom of heaven is to repent of your sins and to believe in the gospel. If you are here today and you have not yet placed your trust in Jesus Christ, you can become a citizen of the kingdom of heaven Through acknowledging your sin, repenting of your sin, and placing your trust in Jesus Christ. Faith in Jesus Christ is what is required to become a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. The local church does not make you a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. Only God can do that. But the local church has been authorized by the risen Christ the one in whom all authority in heaven and on earth resides, he has authorized the local church to recognize when a person gives a credible profession of faith. The local church is also called to cultivate that faith in the life of its members, to take responsibility for their ongoing progress within their maturity in Christ, to teach them to observe all that Christ has commanded until the very end of the age. And so membership is a way to exercise our authority to recognize a person's profession of faith. But our membership covenant spells out the way that we are going to live our lives together so that we can become more like the king from heaven. And when the church does this, The church makes visible on earth that which is invisible in heaven. Christ's saving work, His work of setting people apart, His work of calling the church into submission to His authority is put on display so that God is glorified in the church. There are so many other arguments that I could make to show you that membership is not something that I just pulled out of the hat. It's actually biblical. But the reason I have chosen this argument is I want you to see that church membership is critical. It is critical to the mission of the church and it is critical to put on display on earth God's glorious saving work in Jesus Christ. So if you are already a member of this church, what I hope has just happened is I hope that your sense of the importance of your membership has been heightened. And that you see that this is not like joining a club. This is about being an outpost of the Kingdom of Heaven here on earth for the display of God's glory And that it would motivate you to engage in the mission both inside the church and outside in the world. If you have not yet joined a church, I hope that you will be motivated to join one. Whether this one or another one. There are many Gospel-centered churches in this city. Or if you're visiting from out of town, to find a church in the town you're at and to give yourself to it. that is if you're a believer if you are not a believer let me appeal to you one more time the main thing here is about membership in the kingdom of heaven and the gospel extends an invitation to you to come in to the kingdom to receive forgiveness of your sins and life in Jesus Christ I pray that you would receive Him today. Let us pray. Father in heaven, hallowed be Your name. I pray that You would be glorified in the church. I pray that You would also do Your work of edification in this church, that You would make us more like Your Son from heaven so that we can reflect here Your glorious praise. Your glorious grace. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.